10% luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will, 5% pleasure, 50% pain, and 100% reason to remember the name, Mike. You look about the, the pixel ratio of the opening of our first film, where it's not quite 16-bit, <laughs> but it's not quite HD. That's about what you look like. Ochre Coke, 60 million years ago. <laughs> yeah, for real. Well, fresh out of the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. It's me, Wade. Uh, Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time, except sometimes when we return to our annual miniseries, Remember the Name, covering Remember every film name. in the Richard Jewell series. We will fully spoil today's films, drumroll please, Super Mario Brothers 1993 and the Super Mario Brothers movie, 2023 but we will not spoil any future entries in the series because as far as we know <laughs> there are currently none how are you doing wade i'm doing good emmett happy april special <laughs> we said we're fools the whole month of april it doesn't matter if it's the first or not we're just gonna go for it we're fools all year round so and i i am also doing well yeah how are you doing <laughs> because today we're honored to have a special guest returning to the pod the provider of our theme music our annual guest for this special and for other films that we have also covered including the incredible marathon run of days of future past it is zane holloman hello Ooh. hello thank you thank you Happy to be here for everyone's most anticipated episode. Yeah, people are really counting down the hours until we return to the Richard Jewell miniseries. Mm -hmm. So, Zane, please tell me, what is your previous experience? And I'm seeing here in the show notes that instead of saying Mario Brothers movies, we're just saying, what's your previous experience with Mario? Oh, wow. Well, I, I met Mario as a young boy. Uh-huh. And I, let's see, we had, I don't remember what games we had. I remember playing, I would go over to my, my neighbor's house a bunch as a kid, and they had a bunch of older systems. Mm. So I'd play, like, mm. Mario 64 and Mario Kart and some other stuff over there. And then he actually gave me his copy of Super Mario Advance 4, which is Super Mario mm. Brothers 3 for the Game Boy Advance. Right. Yes. <laughs> right, uh-huh. Right. Which is a kick-ass game. <laughs> which is a very good game. I was always, growing up, I was always sort of more into Zelda and Pokemon and played Mario some on the side. But, I mean, it's hard to grow up without experiencing Mario. For sure. Is Advance 4 the better version of it to play? Because it's on uh, Switch Online now, but so is the original. I don't know. I know they're, um, they're like different aspect ratios. You can see different amounts of the screen. Mm. I think that the Super Nintendo All-Stars collection is the best because it upgrades it to like 32-bit or whatever, or 16-bit, right. I guess. But I don't know. I think there's something with the Game Boy port where it updates some things. It like adds voice cues, which is weird. There's voice recordings in that game. I think that's the first game with Toad's screaming in it. But I don't know if it's the best one. Emmett, what about you? What is, what is your... I played Mario a fair amount. I had the same one. This um, I think that was the first one that I had was the Super Mario Brothers 4, which is really Super Mario Brothers 3, a reboot. 
And I loved that one. And then I feel like I had the Wii version of the original, mm-hmm. which is a lot harder and less fun. And I think also Super Mario World, maybe? Did y'all ever get into the Paper Mario thing? I played all of the most recent Paper Mario on Switch, which I'm not really sure why I did, because I think it was like 30 hours long. (laughs) But it was pretty good. I have not played any of them. I watched a playthrough of Super Paper Mario for the Wii, but that is my extent with the franchise. Now, let me just say that, like Zane, I was more into Legend of Zelda growing up. But when Super Mario Galaxy came out and Super Mario Galaxy 2... And then the crown jewel, Super Mario Odyssey for the Switch, which is an incredible game. I I loved that game. I played, Mm. I think I beat not the entire game, but I went deep into like getting all the stars and all the moons and stuff and running around as a, as a Mario Tyrannosaurus Rex. And now we know that that comes from this movie. So we're just, it it all spirals (laughs) back around. It all begins to make sense. Wade, what's your experience with this stuff? I've only ever really played handheld games, and it took a long time before I played any games that weren't movie tie-ins. And Pokemon. I would play Pokemon, so I guess that's the first, like, Nintendo games I had. But I had a Game Boy Color, and then a Game Boy Advance SP, and then a DS. And it was on the DS when I remember playing New Super Mario Bros. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I really loved it. That's the one with, like, the CG art style yeah. I have like really distinct memories of that game more than most other games growing up and of loving it. And I guess I already liked platformers because most of the games I played were like Harry Potter, Pirates of the Caribbean platformers. Mm-hmm. The Polar Express. <laughs> yeah. The, the Polar, Polar Express. Express. Treasure Island. Madagascar, the platformer. <laughs> Lion King one and a half, the platformer. Oh yeah, that's a great one. I had a Star Wars episode three game that was really good. Wait, sorry, just shout out to Star Wars <laughs> to Star Wars Lego on the GameCube. An incredible game. <laughs> so, yeah, so I loved it, and I would actually say, unlike both of you, I've always been more of a Mario guy than a Zelda guy. Mm, mm-hmm. Zelda is like a cooler, I guess, but I don't like puzzles in video games. Mm-hmm. when i started i was like okay well i'll go for it and now i'm like at a point where i'm like if there are puzzles i don't want to play it <laughs> it's just not something i enjoy at all but i've loved pretty much every mario game that has come out since then and i also love mario karts mm. especially like the handheld ones i would say seven on the 3ds and then eight on switch and mario kart tour the mobile game <laughs> I've put hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours into This is a cry for help. He's, he's asking Yeah, this is a, he's asking us for help. Of course there's like Super Smash Bros and Mario Kart which are their own whole like I don't even think of them as being in the same realm but of course it's it's all, all the same like characters and people that we're going to see in these movies. Mario Sports, Dr. Mario. Yeah, Mario teaches typing. Super Mario Tennis. <laughs> Uh, what's the, what's the one that everybody pretends to like, but actually hates super Mario party. (laughs) I made a joke in our text thread about a super Mario party movie where Richard Jewell walks around in a circle for three hours and pretends that he's having fun with his friends. I once 
a former guest and friend of the pod, Patrick and I were waiting in line outside of our local movie theater to see a limited screening of Laser Team, the Rooster Teeth movie that truly no one wanted to see or should have seen. And we were sitting out in the outside in like the cold and Patrick just pulled out his 3DS and started playing Mario Party Island Tour. And instantly the person in front of us went, oh, hey, and pulled out his 3DS and (laughs) pulled out Mario Party. (laughs) And we just played a game of Mario Party together over a dual play outside of the movie theater. He's really, he's the plumber that connects us all, you know. That's true. I'm just going to run on through this. Uh, Mario was created by Nintendo and began with the uh, arcade game Mario Brothers in 1983. Although the character of Mario appeared as Jumpman, which is the playable character in Nintendo's 1981 breakout hit arcade game Donkey Kong, which, have any of y'all ever played this, this one? Yeah. A thoroughly frustrating game. All right, here we go. What we are talking about today. The original film in the Richard Jewell series, it's only just now come to light. Mm -hmm. So that's why we didn't (laughs) cover it yet. Um, The 1993 (laughs) film, Super Mario Brothers. Uh, Wade, what are the very brief stats on this film? This film was released on May 28th, 1993 by Buena Vista Pictures, which was the name that Disney likes to use back in the day when... (laughs) They felt a little suspicious about a movie and didn't want it to say Disney at the beginning. God, that's that's genius. <laughs> so yeah, now this is the 1993. Later we'll be talking about 2023. We've got here two movies about two brothers 30 years apart. Wow. And in this movie, the two brothers are also 30 years apart in age. <laughs> so <laughs> This film, 1993, was directed by Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel. Now they are a British husband and wife directing duo. They got their start in commercials and music videos, and they broke out in 1985 when they created Max Headroom. Have either of you ever heard of or watched Max Headroom? No. I feel like I have heard of it. I need to look it up. My dad, my and Zane's dad. Oh my God. (laughs) Was very into Max Headroom when I was a kid, so I know of it. It's like a weird dystopian commercial from the 80s where his bit was that he was like a computer man who was a news anchor and then they like made a tv show out of it but like the energy of dino hatton in this movie is max hedger gotcha max hedger is what this movie is is totally in the same vein of at least for like all the stuff in the middle so he's their ted lasso is what i'm hearing Yeah, sort of the Ted Lasso of the 80s. Gotcha. They had only directed one movie before this, which was called DOA in 1988. It was starring Uh Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. Wow. And after this movie came out, indeed, prophetically, their own career was DOA. (laughs) They never made a movie again. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) They have since continued directing commercials, and um, Annabelle Jenkel by herself directed a film in 2018 called Tell It to the Bees. The credited writers, and we'll talk more about this later, but the credited writers for this movie are the duo Parker Bennett and Terry Runte, who had written the 1991 Ethan Hawke comedy Mystery Date. They are also in the pool of never do another movie again after this comes out. Wow. 
And the script was rewritten by the famous Hollywood screenwriter, Ed Solomon, who wrote all three Bill and Ted movies. And after this goes on to write Men in Black and Now You See Me, (laughs) among many others. The score for this movie is by Alan Silvestri of Back to the Future and the Avengers fame. Mm. A great composer. This movie runs one hour and 44 minutes. It was made for $42 million and made back $38 million worldwide. It was a huge flop and critically despised at the time of release. Has a 35 on Metacritic. Emmett, what would you say to the brave listeners (laughs) who have not been able to watch the Super Mario Bros. 1993 Richard Jewell Origins. Which we should say is almost everyone, given how much <laughs> Nintendo has tried to shoot this out of existence. Okay, so are they doing, like, the George Lucas uh, Star Wars Christmas special thing with this and, like, trying to track down every copy of it and, like, erase it from history? Is that what's happening? Because this movie is insane and needs to be seen by as many people as possible. We need to remember 90s maximalism and that there is another way. There is another way, I promise. There is another way. Film can be cool. Film can be fun. It doesn't have to be a slog. It doesn't have to be miserable. Okay, there's another way. (laughs) All right, so this movie is a... Film can be bad. (laughs) Um... This movie is incredible. So this movie is about uh, two plumbers living in Brooklyn. They're doing their thing. They're plumbing. And then one day they see a beautiful woman named Daisy being kidnapped by some weird looking dudes and hustled through a wall. John Leguizamo, surprise, playing Luigi. Another connection for those uh, loving listeners of the pod. This guy, he's in love with Daisy at first sight, of course. Mm-hmm. He's like, we got to go save her. So him and old Mario jump into that soupy wall after her and are transported <laughs> into Dino Hatton, an alternate reality that looks <laughs> kind of like Blade Runner meets Las Vegas meets Mad Max meets cocaine i don't know it's wild it's it's an incredible an incredible landscape full of the worst kind of just like weird looking people walking around there's lots of strange costumes there's a lot of like half animal looking people Mm -hmm. daisy's being kidnapped they're being dragged through the crowd they're trying to they're trying to get after her and then they find out oh there's an evil king koopa and he's the one who rules this city with an iron fist And he's trying to get a hold of Daisy because, and now this is very important, Daisy is actually from Dino Hatton. She is the descendant of a dinosaur, not joking, has a piece of the meteorite that killed the dinosaurs 65 million years ago, except guess what? Dinosaurs not killed 65 million years ago. Fake news split into an alternate reality where they have evolved somehow into humanoids. I don't really want to go down the rabbit hole of the reptilian shapeshifter of it all in this movie. But I just think we need to put a pin in that idea and then let the, let the listener watch the movie and make their, make their own assumptions of what the hell people were thinking. Well, that is weirdly kind of the pitch of this movie. The angle that they seem to have latched onto is what if dinosaurs survived, which is a very strange pitch 
both for a Mario movie and for a Richard Jewell movie, mm-hmm. which have both, like, to my mind, both of those characters are more tied into kind of a down-to-earth, working-class aesthetic yeah. that has more to do with, like, solving real-world problems, like Olympic game bombings and angry turtles stealing your girlfriend. But here we are in Dino Hatton. <laughs> With none other than Fiona <laughs> Shaw as the second in command to the bat, the big bad, unhinged. Uh-huh. The number of times in this movie where I was like, nobody saw this except for the directors of everybody's favorite movies from the 2000s. And that that's like the only people who saw this because so many things are cribbed from this movie. You know that J.K. Rowling was watching this movie and was like, she has her mother's eyes. Yes, it's brilliant. I need to put it in everything. Um, and and also Fiona Shaw put a pin in that. And so... Emmett, are you really going to come in here standing Fiona Shaw and still not having watched Andor? Is she an Andor? She is a huge Nobody part of Andor. Nobody told me Fiona Shaw was an Andor. That that changes things. Oh, she's so good. It doesn't change things. I don't I don't watch TV. It's like it's 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 pathological at this point. So here we are. Dino Hatton. The plan is capture the princess, get the rock from the princess. At one point he says, Where's the rock? Which I particularly like. This is too early for a Dwayne the Rock Johnson cameo in a movie. It, it should have happened. Like they should have just made it happen somehow. I thought he was playing all of the Goombas. <laughs> he very very well may have. There's the guy who is the sleazy car assistant guy in Ferris Bueller's Day Off who takes the car on the joyride and puts a bunch of miles on it. He is playing one of the two children of Bowser, except he's not Bowser, he's King Koopa. Mm. What happens in this movie? Her dad is a giant fungus. Truly gross. <laughs> Your father the fungus. <laughs> Your father, the fungus. King Koopa wants to merge realities back, which will somehow happen if they put the meteorite back together. Okay. Put the meteorite back together, it will merge the realities, and then the Dino Hattons will be able to de-evolve the real New Yorkers with these de-evolve guns that will turn them, I guess, into chimpanzees, or like basically take you further up the evolutionary scale backwards from where you were. We should say the dino's motivations is that they miss water and natural resources uh, and are aware of how gross and cyberpunk their city is and feel Mm. as the original life beings that they should go and take over from the humans. I think this movie is more coherent than it seems to at first watch, honestly. Mm -hmm. That was my feeling after watching it. It was like, I need to watch this like four more times to really get all of the layers of what is going on in this. This seemed like an excellent movie for Wade's favorite thing, which is tracking the background story, like the story behind the story. I feel like there's about eight of those in this one. Mm. And we could really, you know, you could really go down a rabbit hole on it. One of those I want to mention is that Koopa is elected, which I think is interesting because he is the king. Oh, yeah. And also Daisy's father was the king. Yeah. But there are all these posters about (laughs) vote Koopa. They're very funny. (laughs) There's all this talk about, like, if people speak ill of Koopa, he won't win. (laughs) Just an interesting angle. He's an elected fascist dictator, which never happens. One of those posters is a vote for Koopa the Sensitive, 
and it's a poster of uh, Cooper kissing a baby. <laughs> He's just holding a baby and looking at the camera and kissing it. There's also Vote for Koopa, the environmentalist, which I believe is him holding a chainsaw and nothing else. <laughs> I also, while we're talking about Koopa, I'd just like to mention that Koopa coins are called coupons in this movie. And that really got me. That's good. That That's good. good. There it is. Eventually, they save the world. They de-evolve Koopa into slime. And they return to their world. However... Daisy, being a dinosaur, first remain in Dino Hatton, which really bums out old Luigi. He's in the sad boy hours. And then at the end of the movie, bam, she comes back looking like Ripley from Aliens and is like, you won't believe it. And Mario says, oh, I believe. I believe. Cut to black. And when, where are we, when, when are we getting Mario Brothers 2, baby? I, I don't, what is, I don't know what it's, I don't have a good title for it. Richard Jewell, question mark? Well, then there's a post credit scene, too. Yeah. Oh, what? Really? I, I missed this. Where Nintendo executives visit Iggy and Spike, the two henchmen, and uh-huh. pitch them a video game called the Super Koopa Cousins. <laughs> wow. Which, I don't know if that was supposed to be, like, a tease for an upcoming game that, of course, never came out, or just, like, further cementing that this is an alternate reality. Right. I think the implication is just that Super Mario Bros. the game is a biographical nonfiction experience, and the Nintendo executives just picked a different name. Oh, gotcha. Once they had read the news and everything. That is at least my read on it. Well, I have a quote from one of the writers who says, this is Bennett, he said, Our take on it is that Nintendo interpreted the events from our story and came up with the video game. (laughs) So, there you go. Which, yeah, wild. Wild. We also didn't talk about the moment where the Twin Towers disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that that might also have something to do with this movie never being re-released. Yeah, for real. Now. Flopper Bob, before we go too far down this, Zane Flopper Bob. Can I just say, this movie rips. It's such a bop for me. I hated oh, this movie yeah. the first time I watched it. I truly, like, I was overwhelmed by everything. Wade and Laura and I watched it, like, a year ago. Uh-huh. And I could not deal with it. I It just didn't, I, like, couldn't process everything. None of it made any sense. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of dreading revisiting it this time. I like sat down sometime last week and sat with it and it works so much more than I thought it did. Having seen it and knowing that it's fully removed from the games and anything you would expect makes all of the little Easter eggs that there are like much cooler to me, Mm. knowing that it's not like an adaptation, but sort of pays homage and does a different story. It like has something to say and is also very funny not just ironically. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many little lines and jokes that I thought are truly hilarious that are not just like because you can make fun of it. I loved it. I will say it reminds me a lot of uh, one of my favorite big comic events, uh, Infinite Crisis from 2005, which is a it's a similar like characters from Earth to had their world destroyed and are trapped in a pocket dimension and then come back to try to take over Earth-1 to, like, get the resources 
and feel compelled because they're sort of the original like characters. That's cool. A lot of the emotional stuff in that book, which is very good, I thought sort of is in the background in this movie, hmm. which I, I liked a lot. It like is very weird. And I don't think you can come to that conclusion without having seen it at least twice. Because I, I truly hated it the first time I saw it. But it's it's such a bop for me. I'm so excited to talk about it. Hell yeah. Wade, flapper bop. It's a bop for me too. I did not hate it the first time I watched it, but I also liked it more the second time. And I think tuned into a lot more about it. Mm. In terms of the characters, I'm much more of a fan of Luigi Daisy and their romance like in uh-huh. the games than I am of Mario Peach. Oh. So the fact that this movie is kind of all about Daisy is very cool to me. Yeah. And I like those characters a lot. There definitely are things that don't totally work. I don't really like the bad guy stuff. Mm. There are big chunks sort of in the middle too that I just zone out for despite my best efforts to pay attention. Would that be the section with prostitutes in a nightclub? (laughs) perhaps well i do love the scene with big bertha she's maybe my favorite mario character incredible who is the fish from super mario bros 3 and her costume (laughs) is exactly like the fish and that is like the weird thing of this movie is that there are all of these like everything in this is a reference to the game it's just incredibly changed and like perverted basically (laughs) In this really fascinating way that I think is still rewarding if you know the games and you're like, oh, that's Toad. Weird. So yeah, I like it. I think it's great casting. I think everything in Brooklyn at the beginning before they go to Dino Hatton is perfect. And I do love a lot of the stuff at the end with Fiona Shaw too, like you were saying. I love Scapelli. I love that there's this weird human villain who Mario (laughs) just hates. (laughs) I love that Mario's just dating an Italian woman, Daniela, who he wants yeah. to take to WrestleMania. And that's just Aww. a plot point, too. It's a really weird movie, but I do think it captures like some of the Mario energy successfully. What about you, Emmett? Flop or bop? It was a bop. This was the first time I'd ever seen it. Unmitigated bop. I need to watch it again, like maybe tonight. It's wild. Here's what it reminded me a lot of. It reminded me of The Fifth Element a lot, just kind of visually, and just, like, in the idea that anything could happen next. Like, you don't know. You don't hmm. know where this movie might go. And I, I love that energy in a movie. I also think that they, I mean, we'll talk about this more in the second half of this episode, but I think they, like, avoided some huge pitfalls of doing a video game movie. This is not a movie which feels like a video game or like it should have been a video game, if that makes sense. Like, it really does feel like, it feels like a whack-ass weird science fiction movie, but it feels like a movie. You know, it doesn't feel like, oh, now we have to do the, you know, now we have to do the level up. Now we have to do the, you know, like, the thing. So it, it mm-hmm. I, I, I thought that, that was really cool about it. Even though it does do those things, though. like there is a power-up scene and there is a Mario Kart scene. There's a costume reveal. Yeah, the costume reveal is sweet, but it doesn't feel as, I don't know, it doesn't feel as hokey as sometimes those things do. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're very funny. I think Bob Hoskins' physical comedy in this is hilarious. Mm -hmm. Especially in that part where he falls into the wall. Incredible. Just wonderful. (laughs) I think what's wonderful about this is that sometimes there will just be a series of images and you're like, I don't even really understand how these connect to one another. 
And yet I am getting an impression of chaos. I'm getting an impression of what this world is like. Cool. It's a new favorite and it has inspired a, a very exciting quiz. I should say I, I do have a uh, surprise game for the two of you at some point during this podcast. Uh, oh my god! Wow! <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Three. Just to keep you games. on your toes, we gotta upgrade this podcast to two hundred CC. So let's talk about let's talk about the cultural context a little bit. I have here the wave of inspiration from Batman, nineteen eighty nine. You're talking about 90s maximalism. I mean, I think I, that's the same thing, is that mm-hmm. I'm thinking of other movies like Dick Tracy or like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original movie from the 90s, like these ones that were like profoundly inspired by Tim Burton and his adaptation mm-hmm. of Batman. And now we're getting like these expansive, bizarre, dystopian movies that are like seemingly for children, but not real. Uh. This felt very Back to the Future 2 to me also, Mm, Uh, which is also a movie I watched once and could not process and hated. And now I'm curious to to go back and watch it again to see if I'd connect to it more. Yeah, me too. I don't know if you have this in your notes, Wade. Do you know how many Mario games were out by this point? Like, was Yoshi a fairly new invention? Is this soon after Mario World? Mario World was the main inspiration for this game. And I think that's also the dinosaur angle. Right. Oh, I have that on both. Super Mario World was the main inspiration for this movie. And then the 2023 we'll talk about, they've said that Super Mario 3D World on Wii U was the primary inspiration for that Mm. movie. Yeah, because I was curious just what audiences were going in with. Because, like, now, you know, we've seen Mario Party, we've seen Dr. Mario, we've seen Mario do everything. We've seen Luigi die Mm -hmm. at the hands of death, canonically. That's true. So, like... (laughs) What, really? Where? When? There's a a Smash trailer for Smash Ultimate where they announce the Belmont Brothers from Castlevania. Uh Uh-huh. And it begins with Luigi going through an actually haunted house and then being slain by the reaper (laughs) oh my god and you watch his spirit ascend into heaven (laughs) wow wow with all of that like this doesn't seem that weird comparatively now (laughs) honestly yeah true true like can you imagine being a kid in the 90s And loving Mar like at this point we've seen 3D Mario too, so we have a little bit of a clear impression. But at that point, they've only played those four pixel games, uh-huh. and you love Mario, and then you go and see the Mario movie, and it's this movie. I'd be terrified. That is kind of happening across all Nintendo IP at the time. Like if you see Captain N or like the Nintendo Power comics, they'd always have random silent characters sort of acting out of character. Hmm. in everything i feel like there were much less concise characterizations of everyone wasn't there also like a legend of zelda tv show around this same time (laughs) yes it's very funny like an animated zelda tv show where he's like an absolute horn dog (laughs) yeah it's pretty wild there was a mario animated show too right yeah which i believe is also partially live action in the the super show yeah whoa Super show ran for two months in 1989. Ringing success. Huh? <laughs>
And there was a Super Mario World animated show, too. Oh, wow. Looks like here. In 1991. Now, wait, I see here that we have a full page and a half of behind-the-scenes drama, so let's just go ahead and get into it. (laughs) What the hell happened on the set of this movie? Okay, so this, this movie is the brainchild of a man named Roland Joffe. Now, Roland Joffe was a film director who won or was nominated for Best Director at the Academy Awards twice in the 80s. Um, one of them was for The Killing Fields. It's probably his most well-known movie. After that, he decided that he wants to try his hand at producing, and he has the idea to produce a Mario movie. So he goes to Nintendo. He gets the rights. He offers them creative control, uh, which apparently they politely reject. And he basically says that their attitude was like, we think Mario will withstand a bad movie if you make a bad movie. <laughs> huh. But they're basically like, no, we'd like to see what you want to do with it. And, like, frankly, we think that we'll be okay. Jaffe has the rights. A ton of different writers and directors all do potential takes on it. You can read all about that. We don't have time to cover it. But there are a huge revolving door of people who were working on it at one point. Then Jaffe decides the movie should have a darker tone. And he thinks of Max Hedrum. And that's how he hires Morton and Jangle. Two quotes I have here from Jaffe about this. Number one, this wasn't Snow White and the Seven Dinosaurs. The dino world was dark. We didn't want to hold back. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Quote number two, it's a wonderful parody of New York and heavy industry. We call it the new brutalism. Yes. Yes. New brutalism. God, wait for my doctoral thesis on new brutalism in film from 1993 to 1994. <laughs> um, so now the directors are on. They hire this duo, Bennett and Ronte, to write the script. They say their primary inspiration is Ghostbusters. Oh. They turn in their draft. They get fired for being too funny. <laughs> <laughs> Jaffe hires the old British screenwriting duo Dick Clement and Ian LaFrance. Oh, yeah. Um, who had written the British TV sitcoms The Likely Lads and Porridge. <laughs> wow. Likely indeed. They come on and their draft is focused on increasing the female roles. So they add a lot of the Daisy and Lena, who is Fiona Shaw's character their stuff into the movie, and they add the character of Bertha, who is not in the original script. And this script is apparently pretty strong, and it's what gets everyone to sign on. Initial casting choices, who they wanted, Danny DeVito as Mario, Tom Hanks as Luigi, (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger as Koopa. Why not? That sounds like a worse movie than this one, I think. (laughs) Funnily enough, that's maybe who you would cast today. Instead of that, to play the parts. Obviously, all three of those turned it down. Bob Hoskins said he was hesitant to do another kid's movie after Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Hook, but he said, quote, I'm the right shape. I've got a mustache. I worked as a plumber's apprentice for about three weeks and set the plumber's boots on fire with a blowtorch. <laughs> he had all of the necessary requirements. <laughs> John Leguizamo, who I think is still pretty young when this comes out, and I 
the vibe I get is that he had a better time than anyone else on this. He's so good in this. He said he took the role because, quote, you always see a lot of Italians playing Latin people, like Al Pacino did in Scarface. Now it's our turn. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Which I love so much that it was like the ultimate career revenge for him to (laughs) play a famous Italian-American. Luigi Mario. (laughs) How many Marios is there between you two? That was another... Do you think Ron Howard was watching that scene and was like, oh, we should have a scene where they say, Han, what's your last name? Solo? It is exactly that. And there's also um, the Fantastic Beasts kiss scene is done shot for shot in this movie where they like talk about how they love dinosaurs or whatever and slowly start to kiss and then someone interrupts them at the end. I like I had just watched that movie recently and it's exactly the same. There's also a scene where Mario before leaping across the canyon on a rope gives Luigi a hug and a kiss for good luck. <laughs> exactly the same as Star Wars A New Hope where also two siblings kiss before jumping across <laughs> great crevice. <laughs> Somehow it feels less weird in this one. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is true. Okay, before filming began, Disney buys the rights and they hire Ed Solomon to write a more family friendly version of the script. However, oh, no. someone up top chooses not to tell the director and cast about the new script until they what? arrive to film the movie. <laughs> and this whole movie was shot in Wilmington, North Carolina, by the way. The Dino Hatton of North Carolina. <laughs> Basically, then, it was just a nightmare. Everyone hated the new script. Hoskins says that he and Leguizamo would get drunk every morning before going to film their scenes. <laughs> Leguizamo made the claim, this is a quote, the directors kept trying to insert new material. They shot scenes with strippers and other sexually explicit content, which all got edited out. <laughs> What? In the middle of all of this, Bennett and Runte, the original writers, just show up to set uninvited. And they're basically like, oh, great, you're rehired. And they write all of the stuff that goes forward from there. All of the onset stuff. The directors did finish the shoot, but they were immediately locked out of the editing room. And the film's cinematographer, Dean Simler, directed all of the reshoots for the movie. Wow. Hell yes, Dean. Get it. (laughs) Big DP energy. The film came out and it was a gigantic flop. I've got some quotes here (laughs) from the creatives involved. The Bob Hoskins one will be heavily edited to read it on air. (laughs) He says, quote, the worst thing I ever did, Super Mario Brothers. It was a nightmare. The whole experience was a nightmare. It had a husband and wife team directing whose arrogance had been mistaken for talent. After so many weeks, their own agent told them to get off the set. <laughs> complete nightmare, complete idiots. Oh my god. I think that, but much harsher is the actual quote. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Dennis Hopper, who plays King Koopa, he said this, quote, My six-year-old son said, Dad, I think you're a pretty good actor, but why did you play that terrible King Koopa in Super Mario Bros? <laughs> and I said, well, Henry, I did that so you could have shoes. And he said, 
And he said, Dad, I don't need shoes that badly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, God. And Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of Mario, always a very polite gentleman. He said, Mm -hmm. quote, the one thing that I still have some regrets about is that the movie may have tried to get a little too close to what the Mario Brothers video games were. It became a movie that was about a video game rather than being an entertaining movie of itself. It's a fascinating take. So that is interesting that that is his take on what went wrong. But Nintendo clearly did think something went wrong, despite their politeness, because they did not allow another live action adaptation of their games ever until Pokemon Detective Pikachu in 2019. Wow. Two last little notes here. One, in 2013, Bennett, one of the screenwriters, wrote a webcomic of his sequel to the film, which you can read online. Uh, And two, in 2021, a film restorationist named Garrett Gilchrist created an extended cut of the movie with 20 minutes of cut footage, which was intended to be an extra on the Blu-ray release. However, when the Blu-ray was scrapped, he released it himself on the Internet Archive, which you can watch. It's called the Morton Jankel Cut, and it has an extra 20 minutes, mostly involving stuff with Scapelli and more Spike Iggy shenanigans. And presumably lots of nudity and strippers, (laughs) according to what we just read. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, so MVP other than Mario who I guess is the protagonist of this film. Who's your MVP, Zane? Uh, Is Luigi on the table? He's in the title as one of the Mario Bros. And I would argue he's maybe more of the protagonist than Mario. That could be true. If he's on the table, absolutely him. I think he's so good in this. What say you, Emmett? Sure, let's have it, because I want to have something fun happen. (laughs) He's great in this. You're so right. (laughs) So many fun moments with him. One of my favorite moments early on is uh, they go to like the payphone to see if they have any messages. Uh, and that's when he meets Daisy because Daisy wants to use the phone while he's on it. They have a message and they've been looking for work and they finally get one. And he's glancing over at Daisy and like deciding to let her use the phone. And in the background, you hear someone yelling, exasperated, I got a big flood over here. Bring every plumber you know. I need every plumber in New York City. <laughs> and he cuts it off. And he's just, he's so charming. He's so cute in this. He also, at the end of the movie, when when Lena dies, she is cast into stone. And Daisy's reaction to this is, yikes. And Luigi's reaction to witnessing someone die in front of him is, man, she sure makes an impression. <laughs> Just so good. I really, I really fell in love with him on this, on this watch. There's also one section where Luigi is wandering through the desert wearing only Levi jeans and a <laughs> rainbow belt. Yeah. Oh my God, queer icon, Luigi Mario. Yes, incredible. Love to see it. I want 20 more minutes of that in the <laughs> in the Hankel and George cut or whatever. <laughs> Wade, who's your MVP? Okay, there are a lot of performances I like in this movie. But the one that stuck with me the most and the one I absolutely gravitate towards is Dana Kaminsky as Daniela. Oh, yeah. Mario's oh, huh? girlfriend. 
I just think it is like the funniest concept in the world to me that Mario is just dating like an Italian American woman in Brooklyn who is very much like as you would think of like the stereotype of that. She has great lines throughout the film. <laughs> At one point, well, she gets kidnapped earlier. Mm-hmm. When Iggy and Spike are looking for Daisy, they kidnap approximately 15, 20-year-old <laughs> Italian-American women from New York and New Jersey <laughs> who Mario has to rescue and then ride on the big mattress with her. I was like, this was Bob Hoskins' favorite part of the entire shoot. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. <laughs> And Daniela has some joke where she says, yeah, those guys were looking for a princess. I guess none of us fit the bill. (laughs) And there are all these gags that Mario is like trying to quietly save them. And they're like yelling like, Mario, look, it's Mario. (laughs) So I love her. I think it's a great performance. It's really fascinating to me that her and uh, Fiona Shaw seem to be caught in a scene-to-scene battle of who can wear the tightest or most revealing costume. <laughs> <laughs> Something old Dean, the cinematographer, is really latching onto, too. But it is like they keep cutting back and forth <laughs> between them, and like all of a sudden Fiona Shaw is in a backless dress. <laughs> it's a really um, fascinating <laughs> thing to be in a movie that I guess was for children. I mean, the costumes in this are bazonkers, truly. Yeah. Every like on every level, the costumes. The the real MVP of this movie was the costume designer because, and the and like the hair too. The hair is just wild. I love it. Love it. New brutalism. Yes, bring it back. Emmett, who's your MVP? It's got to be Fiona Shaw as Lena, um, the jealous. Jealous lover slash sidekick slash betrayal secret big bad of the film, but also shouts to Dennis Hopper, a true legend in the weird movie gang, the star, I believe, of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, another movie which we could classify under new brutalism and just whack-ass weird stuff happening on screen. Yeah, just, just incredible. Fiona Shaw, giving it everything, really, like, playing acting happening in like with her and daisy in scenes where she is like fully committed to doing something that Mm. may that like is suggested it's like suggested by the lines i'm not saying it's not there but she is definitely playing it a hell of a lot more than what is given to her you know what i mean and it's it's really wonderful plus i love her bride of frankenstein hair at the end i think that's awesome i kept thinking that she was going to be daisy's mom oh yeah Daisy's mom is the woman who we see running through New York and leaving a dinosaur egg at a nunnery in the film's opening scene. Daisy, the dinosaur who lived. I thought that that may have been a reference to Pauline uh, because she is like wearing red and is the other female character from Mario other than Peach. But I don't, I thought they said her name later on, but I don't know if they do. I read that there was some intention at one point that the good king, Daisy's father, was going to be King Bowser, who had been ousted by King Koopa. Oh, weird. Which is just confusing because isn't that is like Bowser's name in Japan is King Koopa, right? Yes. Oh, is it? Yeah. So he is supposed to be Bowser. All I can think about, there's like some sick MF Doom song where he drops a King Koopa reference 
I believe it's Ho Cakes. Listen to it. It's awesome. Why not just bring in King K. Rule at this point from Donkey Kong and have him do <laughs> oh, it? Oh, yeah. It, it makes no sense. How about the one scene where Iggy and Spike get re-evolved? Oh, yeah. And they basically become communists who are aware of the chains, shackles on them in their society and just start advocating for political reform every chance they get. I love when he calls I love when he calls Luigi, you overweening rogue. <laughs> that part is an especially good part. They're like, how do we show that these guys are evolved? They're just gonna use bigger words but enact the same stupid behavior. Cool. They uh confront King Koopa by calling him fascist, oppressor of the proletariat, and Koopa's response is no guy in charge. <laughs> and they say yes. <laughs> There is, like, a fascinating, like, Marxist, anti-capitalist undercurrent in this movie. Yeah. That's, like, cool to see. It's such a it's such a weird, fun film. It, it's got that, that line at the beginning that I love where he, like, storms out of a bodega and he's like, That's ridiculous! I'm not gonna pay for water! <laughs> yes! And I'm like, yes! Yes! Tap water! Our, our plumber king! Free tap water for everyone! That is maybe the best gag in the movie. (laughs) Back in 1993, him coming out and being like, three bucks for a bottled water? (laughs) It's highway robbery, seriously. Okay, we're going to go now to bums the word quiz because we're already going to be a long episode. Here we go. This is from a list on Collider, the 10 most underrated sci-fi movies from the 1990s. So a little bit of this new brutalism, 90s maximalism, and just fun stuff. This might be a tricky one. I don't know. I don't know how y'all are on your 90s sci-fi one-off movies, but uh, let's go. This first film, starring one of the greatest to ever be in a sci-fi movie, this is a Keanu Reeves joint. It's not the one you're thinking of. It's not one of his best-received efforts. It's the name of a person. It's like first name, last name. Came out in 1995. Infamous for its overblown and outright silly tone. This movie ranks as one of Reeves' most reviled sci-fi outings. However, this daring project has plenty to admire. Some might call it the precursor to The Matrix. Uh, Is this Johnny Mnemonic? It is Johnny Mnemonic! How did you get this? Have you seen this movie? No, I just know that Keanu Reeves did a movie that was like basically The Matrix a few years before The Matrix. Yeah. And I know that it's called Johnny Mnemonic and people didn't like it. That was this movie. Okay, number nine, a film that came out in 1995 as well. It's uh, steampunk remains a niche, niche genre with few big screen adaptations attracting acclaim or commercial success. But this 1995 film follows a deranged doctor who kidnaps children to steal their dreams in a misguided attempt to survive. However, the father of one of the victims embarks on a quest to defeat the doctor and his army of clones. This is the premise of, of Stephen King's Doctor Sleep. Uh, is there a 1995 Doctor Sleep? It is not the 1995 film Doctor Sleep, which I believe came out in 2019 or something. This was um, directed by Marc Cairo and Jean-Pierre Genet, uh, who's a French filmmaker who made the films Delicatessen and Amelie as well. Is the title also in French? It is, but we're going with the English translation of the title. Okay. 
it's a place name. It's a place name, kind of, or a place descriptor, more accurately. Okay. All right. This is the 1995 City of Lost Children. A truly weird movie. I've seen it uh, on the big screen at UNCSA. It was very fun. Ron Perlman is the realist. Oh, wow. This 1992 science fiction movie. In a future private underground prison, the inmates are computer controlled with CCTV, dream readers, and devices that can cause pain or death. John and his illegally pregnant wife are inside but want to escape before she gives birth. Directed by Stuart Gordon, starring Christopher Lambert, Lauren Lachlan, and Kurtwood Smith. This is a one-word title. I don't know what this is, but it sounds rad. This is fun. In the year 2017, one corporation is building a fortress for the ultimate takeover. Your mind. Amazon. (laughs) Seriously. Uh, Is this Cube? No, although, Zane, I'm going to go ahead and give you a point because Cube is the last movie on this list. Oh, let's Uh, go. (laughs) So you can just go ahead. We'll skip over that. Uh, You can just go ahead and get a point for Cube. But uh, no, this movie is something else. Would anybody like to take a stab at it? I don't think I know it. Yeah, I've exhausted my resources. All right, this film is Fortress, and it does indeed look rad. It is an R-rated science fiction movie, too, which is an interesting sort of... I don't know, that just seems like not something you often get. Next up, we've got 1995's... This one is crazy. This is a star-studded cast and crew, all right? We've got Angela Bassett, Ray Fiennes, Juliette Lewis, starring... In Oscar-winning director's Catherine Bigelow's 1995 sci-fi film. Whoa. Yeah. Is this The Weight of Water? This is not The Weight of Water. And it's not K-19 The Widowmaker? It's not K-19 The Widowmaker. I'm just naming all of the Catherine Bigelow movies I can think of. Set in the last days of 1999, the film centers on a police-turned-illegal trader who enlists the help of a bodyguard to uncover a murder plot in L.A. It was a notorious flop when it came out, derailing Bigelow's career and suggesting a bleak future for sci-fi. I mean, maybe the bleak outlook was not for science fiction, but that science fiction had approached too close to what was actually coming down the line in another 15 years, and it got too scary, and people were like, no, we don't like it anymore, let's go back to escapism, please. New brutalism is a prophecy. I don't know, what is this? This is strange days, and indeed they are strange days in which we live. Next film up on the list is the 1993 comedy science fiction uh, starring Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin. The film tells the story of a family of aliens forced to stay on Earth after a retcon mission goes wrong. Is the title like their family name? Yes, it is. Is it like the something? Meet the Robinsons. The Plonks. (laughs) Close. When their home planet reaches out with sinister orders, the family must decide where their allegiances lie. I'll tell you that the family name is also describes a shape of part of their body, which is pretty important. Is this Coneheads? It is indeed Coneheads. Okay. (laughs) Very strange. Next up, it's the 1999 David Cronenberg film uh, starring Jennifer Mm. Jason Lee and Jude Law. Wow. Revolving around a VR designer targeted by assassins. 
It's an unfairly overlooked film in Cronenberg's filmography and a perfect example of a sci-fi gem from the late 90s. Crash? It's not Crash. Videodrome? It's not Videodrome. God, this has a terrible cover. <laughs> like, the cover on IMDb is so bad. And it's, like, got this thing where the first le- – this is released by Dimension Films, also I'll say – it starts where it's like the first level letter in the title is lowercase, and then there's a capital letter, and then the rest of it's lowercase, and then the last letter is a capital, because why not, baby? It was 1990s, uh, and you could do what you wanted with fonts. Uh, this isn't existence, is it? It is! It is! Wow. Or, according to this title, existence! <laughs> Yeah, that that is what reminded me of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I knew the fonts. The fonts would get you. All right, next up, it's in 1997. Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman and Jude Law in Andrew Nichols' uh, 1997 sci-fi movie. Film presents a future where children... What? Okay, the film presents a future where children are engineered by eugenics and follows Vincent Freeman, a man born outside the program who faces decimation and obstacles on his quest to travel into space. I wonder if its understanding of genetics is more or less two-dimensional than Jurassic Park's. I'm learning this is really a blind spot for me. Yeah, me too. Science fiction. Is this uh, the mid-2010s movie Divergent? I assume it's probably the movie that those books were based off of. And I mean, like, look at those, look at the people in that cast. That's like an incredible, an incredible cast. This film is Gattaca. I'm not sure how you would know that if you had not already seen it. Like that's a weird title. So, uh, next up, we got two more. This one is from 1998. Rufus Sewell stars opposite future Oscar winner, Jennifer Connelly and future Emmy winner, Kiefer Sutherland. In Alex Proyas' 1998 neo-noir sci-fi, the plot revolves around John, an amnesiac accused of murder, who sets out to clear his name and recover his memories while being hunted by a dangerous group known as The Strangers. And for fans of the Hellraiser series, I will say that The Strangers do look kind of like the Cenobites. I feel like I was looking up Alex Proyas the other day, so I'm guessing I've heard of this, but I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, I've got nothing. Sorry to the listeners. <laughs> this is the 1998 film Dark City. Dark City. Here we go. Okay. I think I saw this movie when I was like 14 and it messed me up. It was an unpleasant movie. Wow. Probably because I was like, wow, this is what it's like. Okay. Next. Last up. 1997 uh, Spanish sci-fi film. Starring Eduardo Noriega as a rich and carefree playboy whose life drastically changes after a car incident. Penelope Cruz co-stars in this brilliant and daring film, co-written and directed by acclaimed filmmaker Alejandro Amenebar. Oh, and apparently it had a Hollywood remake that was called Vanilla Sky, directed by Cameron Crowe and starring Tom Cruise, which came out in 2001 but did not live up to this 1997 original. Fascinating. I know Vanilla Sky, but I don't know whatever this original is. Yeah, I, I got nothing. This is Open Your Eyes from 1997. Mm. And last on the list was going to be Cube from 1997, but Zane already got that. It's one of the most elusive and overlooked horror sci-fi movies. Stars an ensemble and features a group of mysterious and unrelated characters trapped in a mysterious and deadly cube-shaped construction. 
These all sound awesome. I think everybody needs to do their homework on the 90s new brutalism scene. Yeah. Yeah, these, these sound cool. All right. Any final thoughts on Super Mario's 1993 before we kick into the next phase here? Well, uh, I don't want to take too much time because we've, we've got a whole other movie. But I, I do have something of a game paired in relation to this movie for the two of you. Okay. Uh, but it won't take long. It won't take long. Do both of you have your phones handy, perchance? Yes. Do you have access to to something with Messenger? Uh-huh. In the spirit of 1993 Super Mario Brothers, I'm going to send you three images from a random video game I found on Steam. And I want both of you to pitch a movie based on nothing other than those three images, which I believe is how this movie came to be. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. I'll do two sets. Um, I picked out four games, but we only need to do one each here. Emmett, this one is specifically for you, this set, because I think you're less likely to know what the game is and what's going on. I am completely unlikely to know what any of these games are. Just take a gander and just pitch me. Any, any plot that you see. These are all from the. Are these all from the same game? These are all from one game. You can. Uh, you could describe the images to the to the listeners since this is a. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me describe this. Okay, so first up, we've got a fairly realistic looking animation of a woman in red on the other side of a glass partition from a man who looks like he might be in some sort of sci-fi style prison. He's got a manacle and he is wearing like a black tank. Uh, His face is turned away from us. They're looking intensely into each other's eyes. Next up, we've got a car at the beginning of a sick, nasty looking racetrack that looks like kind of post-apocalyptic GTA. Mm. And at the last thing appears to be a person with driver's gloves holding a baby in some a baby in like a synthetic womb or something like that i don't know it seems very seems very strange in sci-fi okay the pitch is <laughs> give us your pitch the pitch is okay is this woman and this this guy who's imprisoned right she's like come to him she's like they've taken my baby she's a cop okay okay he's a huge criminal he does crimes She's like, but they've taken my baby and I need you to go get my baby back for me. And she's like, I can let you out and I can give you the fastest cop car that we have. But everybody is going to be on your trail. If you get caught, you can never say that you had anything to do with me. And then he has to go and like burn it down to like some secret like mountaintop place where they've got the baby because it is no other than the child of destiny. That will bring down the evil mega corporation ruling the world. Wow. Okay. Okay. Very good. Any any big twists? Any any uh big third act surprises? Yes, he is the baby. It's like a time loop, and he actually is <laughs> he, he is the baby. Uh, that's good. That's yeah. good. That's good. This is for you and the listener. Uh, these are images from Hideo Kojima's Death Stranding. Mm-hmm. And as far as I understand it, the plot you just gave is as comprehensible <laughs> as the actual <laughs> plot, if not more. Uh, cool. Thank you. Thank you for taking you on, taking us on this journey. Yeah, this was fun. We can post these on the Instagram, too. 
in a post that will deeply confuse everyone who doesn't listen to this episode. Yeah. Okay, Wade, I am going to send you three images also in the same chat. All right. Sending three images to you now. Uh, <laughs> please give oh us. God. Oh describe God. the images to the listener. So this one is more of a cartoony art style. It sort of looks like a... The game, I would say, sort of looks like Fortnite in its HUD and font and background styling. But your character appears to be a crab holding a gun. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the first one is the crab holding a gun in some sort of ice arena. The second one is in a lava area uh, where he's pointing at a a gigantic skull who's shooting fire out of its mouth. (laughs) And the third one is in a beautiful, idyllic, grassy plains. um, Looks like near an ocean that, of course, is being disturbed by this crab holding holding a revolver in one of its hands as it walks around. What's uh and how would you connect these? Give us give us your pitch. <laughs> I assume this is live action a la uh the most recent Lion King movie. It's live action. Angelina Jolie is playing the crab, and it's called Wanted Two. <laughs> this time she's a crab. <laughs> and uh how do how do these different sceneries come into play, would you say? It's sort of an odyssey. You know, like it's it's really deeply inspired by the original The Odyssey, where our crab with a gun has to travel through many locales in order to find her son who was taken from her. I'm thinking mm, Brendan Gleeson is the flaming skull, maybe the Hell primary yeah. antagonist. Okay. And in all of these images, it also says the word lobby at the top. So thinking maybe Paul Mescal can play lobby. <laughs> Great. That's my pitch. And I can have a script by the end of the week if anyone listening <laughs> wants to green like this. So just let me know. <laughs> Sounds perfect. That is Crab Champions. Released April yeah. 1st, 2023 <laughs> by Noise Storm <laughs> Limited. The description of that game is claw your way across exotic lands, combining fluid movement with fast-paced combat to become a crab champion in this third-person shooter with roguelike elements. And a 98% review review score. Overwhelmingly positive. Hell yeah. Wow. I'll tell you right now, a crab with a revolver is a commercial fisherman's worst nightmare. Have you ever seen that in your time on the island? <laughs> I never have, but I know if I did, I'd see about 50 guys wearing white white boots running up the road away from it. <laughs> Those are my final thoughts on Super Mario. I just want to mention one scene from Super hmm. Mario Bros. 93, which is the Mario Kart type sequence where Mario has stolen a cop car and the other cops are chasing him. Oh. And there's this moment where... He has got two police officers on each side of him who have sort of attached themselves to the car. They're also driving their cars. So it's three cars barreling down the road. And they've each got flamethrowers 
which is this movie's take on the fire flower power up mm. from Mario. And they're both holding it, pointing them at Mario out each window, preparing to kill him. And instead, Mario slams on the brakes. So they race forward, shoot f- flamethrowers at each other, kill each other, and then explode their cars. <laughs> and that is the moment when he says, now this is driving. And I was like, and George Lucas saw this too. Is there, is there anything you didn't steal from this movie? Now we are talking about the sixth movie in the Richard Jewell series, the Super Mario Brothers movie, released April 5th, 2023 by Universal Pictures and produced by Illumination, the animation studio behind Despicable Me, Sing, and The Secret Life of Pets, among others. This movie, which just came out, we all have seen 30 years after the 1993 one. It is directed by Aaron Horvath and Michael Jelinek, who are the creators of the TV show Teen Titans Go, and wrote and directed the underrated 2018 film Teen Titans Go to the movies. Uh, So fun. An incredible film. This movie, the Super Mario Brothers movie, was written by Matthew Fogel who also wrote Illumination's Minions, The Rise of Gru last year. It has a score by Brian Tyler, who we've talked about recently for his work on Scream and Scream 6. It runs a brisk one hour and 32 minutes, was made for a budget of $100 million, and has so far made $377 million worldwide over its opening weekend. It is a colossal hit, sort of the opposite in terms of commercial performance of the original. It has the biggest opening weekend for an animated movie ever, beating Frozen 2 for that honor. And it is the biggest opening of 2023 so far. However, it did get mixed critical reviews. It has a 46 on Metacritic mm-hmm. compared to the original's 35. Emmett, what would you say about this animated adaptation of Super Mario Brothers out in theaters now? All right, cool. So we've got, um, this is a movie about how Bowser wants to marry Princess Peach. Yes. And about how two Italian-American plumbers from New York City magically get transported into the world to stop that evil plot from happening, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I would say that this is like, this focuses a lot on Bowser's kind of quest to take over all of the different kingdoms. And Princess Peach is on a quest to stop him. And then Mario kind of gets wrapped into that. Luigi and Mario get sucked into this alternate dimension. They get like split up right off the bat. Luigi gets taken into a different, the dark world version of everything, which I thought we were going to get some good Luigi's mansion stuff out of that. Sadly, no peach wants to go and get the donkey Kong people to help her. So they go to Kong land. Mario has to fight a super smash brothers style brawl with, with Donkey Kong to get the Kong army to be on their side in a very Black Panther style, like we're going to win. So that we're going to be, I'm going to beat you up so that you respect me so that you will come and fight on my side against the big bad. What, what else, what else happens in this movie? Um, and they do a Mario Kart race. Oh, there is a Mario Kart race. Yeah. That part's really fun. They go to the real world, much like the ending of Mario Bros. 93. Oh, yeah, they do go. They All of uh, Bowser and his minions are transported to Brooklyn. This movie is bizarrely very similar to 90s. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, it is. It is. 
yeah, especially all the stuff where like they go to the they go to that world and then they're like they save Brooklyn at the end from from Bowser and everything. Yeah, and it's wild. But I found it to be even at an hour thirty two light on plot even within that hour and 32 minutes and strong mm. on just like hey don't you remember this from the games sort of thing yeah you know uh you know and then eventually we get to bowser gets the mini mushroom and is turned into a tiny little guy which is very funny everybody lives happily ever after i don't know i don't know I, what, what what do we think about this movie flopper bop flopper bop zane absolute bop for me i i really loved it I went and saw it on Saturday and um, my theater was pretty full and had a lot of kids in it, which was really fun. Mm -hmm. There was one kid a few rows in front of me who every time there was a like visual reference to a specific Mario game, he would excitedly yell out the name of that game. That's awesome. That was very cool for me because that's what I was thinking also (laughs) the whole time. Um, But he went like, that's like Luigi's Mansion. And that's Mario Odyssey <laughs> and <laughs> that's Yoshi. Uh, all, all very, very exciting. But yeah, I thought it was, I just thought it was so fun. I think all of the, like the references just were exciting for me. There was enough stuff that was just in the background that it wasn't really like, it didn't feel overdone to me, I guess. And I think it is like a pretty incredible feat to give these characters motivations and plot and like a world that connects to itself yeah because in all 30 years or 40 years or however many of mario games we've never actually had that i was trying to explain to uh to wade and i's mom when we were seeing it because she was nervous she was like there's been making these games for years and i haven't played any of them am i gonna am i gonna get it (laughs) i was like there's more plot in this movie than in any of those games at all for sure with like the only the most recent not even exception but like the only game with motivation is basically super mario odyssey which is the mm-hmm. motivation they pick for bowser in this game right of, of wanting to marry peach as far as i'm aware yeah i it was so fun i was laughing the whole time i i just really enjoyed it awesome nice. emmett flop or bop it was a bop. It was not as much of like a full throated bop for me as the as the other one though. You know, like if we're gonna on this two point mm-hmm. scale, it's like a little bit it's still slightly lower than the, the other one. But I did enjoy it and I similarly had the experience of watching it in a like very packed theater with some kids and one kid said, That's Bowser when Bowser showed up. I was like, Yeah, it is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh Wade Flopper Bop. Uh, yeah, I would say a bop too. I unfortunately had a really bad experience watching this, mm. which I will just preface to to sit, get out of the way if I'm a little more mixed on it. I saw it after work and I was already sort of tired and frustrated and there were not really kids in my screening. And this guy sat down next to me who smelled so much like stale McDonald's. It was such a specific smell and it was so horrible. And I was like, basically spent the whole movie, like leaned over all the way to the other, (laughs) the other side to be as far away from him as possible. And then like an hour into the movie, he pulled out a bag of McDonald's from under his seat (laughs) that I guess he had had there the whole time and ate like five hamburgers in a row. (laughs) <laughs> at the end of the movie. Damn. 
So I guess that is kind of on me for going to like a night showing and maybe not shelling out for the Alamo. But what can you say? Despite that, I did like this movie. I thought it was really fun to see the characters on the big screen. And I think that I have just tangentially like riding the subway and walking around. I've heard a lot of kids talking about the Mario movie and being really excited about it. Mm -hmm. I do think this is a movie for kids, right? Yes, for sure. Which is not to say that we wouldn't enjoy it, but I don't actually think they've put as much in there for parents of children, say, to enjoy as a lot of other animated movies. Yeah, especially like coming off of Minions, it seems like the Minions are so much of that humor is like for the adults, I feel like. Mm. It's interesting that this coming from the same studio and the same writers would be a little bit more toned down and more for the kiddos. And coming from the directors of Teen Titans Go to the Movies, which is like the most subversive movie ever made for children, I would say. Like maybe a movie that children should not be allowed to watch. (laughs) It is sort of bizarre. But I also, I mean, I think that Nintendo was way more involved in this movie because Mm. of being burned before. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because there is all that like heart of the the characters in the world that is really Mm. cool. But there are less certainly less risks being taken than the last movie we talked about for sure how about we jump into mvp and then we can use that as sort of a springboard to talk about some of the characters here so i will table mario and luigi who i guess we should address at some point too but other than those two who was your favorite character of the movie zane i don't know if this is actually my favorite but i was I really liked Anya Taylor-Joy's Princess Peach. I Mm. had not been sold on it from the trailers because it's all kind of the same, like, monotone voice, I guess. Mm. I guess her character just really worked for me in it. I don't know. I I thought it was cool seeing her at the the red carpet premiere in uh, Princess Peach's suit. She wore the, like, motorcycle suit in cosplay to the Uh. premiere. And it was cool. It was cool seeing that and seeing like she really does sort of love the character. And I thought added a lot of a lot more kind of depth and power to a character that is so often just sort of the damsel in distress. This is this is a fantastic outfit she's wearing. It's so incredible. Wow. Yeah, I've just looked it up. It is very cool. Okay, let's talk about Princess Peach for a minute, because I I was very interested in this movie's treatment of her. Mm -hmm. Now, I would say that. Nintendo, maybe the last 10 years especially, has sort of been plagued by the premise of their two most popular <laughs> games, which is both a young boy has to rescue a young princess who has been kidnapped by a middle-aged monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's just not necessarily very empowering for the female characters in these stories. And I feel like Nintendo has been trying to reckon with that in their games in really interesting ways. This movie sort of subverts that by having Luigi be kidnapped instead of Peach Mm -hmm. and turning Peach into a much more capable warrior leader than she has been depicted in some of the other things. But then it still sticks with the marriage plot line and sort of doubles down on it in another interesting way where the take of this movie is that Bowser is actually in love with Princess Peach. Mm -hmm. And is doing all of his evil stuff just because he genuinely feels so much emotion for Princess Peach, who he is in love with. 
Yeah, basically Jack Black playing Meatloaf playing Bowser <laughs> as a kind of sympathetic, lovelorn buffoon. I like it. I think yes. it's fun. This is less about all that, but she's sort of the inverse of Daisy in the 93 movie, where she is mm. like assumed to be from the real world or from our Earth and had been transported as a as a baby to sort of roll mm. Mushroom Kingdom, as opposed to Daisy taken from the Mushroom Kingdom to the real world and grew up there and then came back later. Just is so interesting how both of these movies want to do Mario and want to do the New York and like being a plumber and then have to marry that with the fantastical elements of everything else and just end up doing like the world between worlds and like multiverses and stuff. Now, yeah. and my question about this is like, why is that so necessary? Couldn't Mar like, there's no reason there couldn't be other humans living in the Mario world that Mario and Luigi are just from a family living in the Mushroom Kingdom already know about Princess Peach and the whole Mushroom royal family and are just like two working class guys who get asked to help out when, the, you know, when things go south. But instead, there's always got to be this weird, like, multiverse thing. It did make me think about, like, I don't know. When, when I was a kid and I first heard about the multiverse, I was probably, like, 13 or 14 and was like, I was, it was like really kind of blew my mind. And I think it was really with the Philip Pullman books is like where that, the, with his dark materials is where that idea really started to first take hold for me. But I'm thinking about like watching this movie as like a four-year-old. It's like the multiverse is just now part of a cultural assumption. Almost. It seems like it's like all through all of the MCU stuff. I feel like a lot of current uh, media is like, really in on the multiverse idea so i just wonder what that's going to mm -hmm. be like for people who grew up with that as part of their understanding at least of like a fictional world and that stuff is in the 93 movie too yeah, yeah. kind of bizarrely there's all this stuff of king kuba like talking about like the universes are colliding which was pretty fascinating all the way back then yeah zane how how did you think their handling of peach worked i'm guessing good since she's your mvp yeah i thought it was i thought generally cool i thought the i was like a little bummed out about the marriage plot i was very surprised they included it that is i don't know just like a weird part of mario odyssey and like such a strange inclusion inclusion generally generally i thought she was cool i liked her i thought she had a lot of agency in the movie and just like was cool like they made her the cool fighter uh, who could do everything and could do all of the, the platforming in a really effective way. I liked her and Mario's relationship. I wish we would have gotten a little something at the end of the movie mm. about where they were. A little cake, perhaps? A little kiss on the cheek? A little letter? It wouldn't have to be a kiss, since it's for kids, although that certainly is what I was hoping for, <laughs> but just some sort of check back in, because that sort of seems to be like the middle of the movie is about their relationship and how it's progressing, yeah. and then the end sort of goes back to the Luigi daddy issue stuff, which is like from the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Emmett, who's your MVP? Oh, yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta be little Wizrobe dude, um little what's his nut oh comic yeah comic that guy oh the comic relief if you will there's a really great moment where uh he is dressed up as peach 
so that Bowser can pretend to woo Peach. And it, I, I always, you know, I go for it. That's amazing. You know. uh, Wade, who's your MVP? Well, I do love Jack Black as Bowser. Mm-hmm. I feel like he is the only one who has like a take on his character. Uh-huh. It's not just like accurately portraying the character, but is like, this is what I think is going on in Bowser's head. Yeah. <laughs> just a full commitment, which I really like. Seth Rogen is doing like whatever the opposite of a full commitment is. <laughs> yeah. The least amount of commitment possible. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like he's like not totally sure if he's in this movie as Donkey Kong or not. But my actual MVP I want to shout out would be Keegan-Michael Key as Toad. I thought this would be yours. Mm. I thought this was a great performance. He's so good. He's really funny. He's really cute. He has a lot of high energy, and I feel like he also carries some of the expositional weight of the movie, which, like, as Emmett was saying earlier, this is a movie where, like, basically all of the script is economical, There's very little that is not like moving it from set piece to set piece or explaining something the audience needs to know. Mm -hmm. And I think that Toad handles a lot of that stuff well. I love his relationship with Peach. Like the only moment in the movie that got me a little emotional is when all the other Toads leave. And he's like, I said I was going to protect you Mm. and stands by her. Yeah, I thought he was great. On the Bowser character do you think mm-hmm. this movie is teaching kids that being an incel is good or bad? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, That's that is I sort of the there. weird aspect of this too, right? Hmm. He's not rewarded for his actions, but he is like the funny character that kids like and they're going to be quoting. And he sings a silly song. But it's yeah. also like such a weird message for kids from the other side too of being like oh here's the cool girl character you could be like but you do have to marry someone you don't like unfortunately that's another part of being a girl yeah i don't know i thought it was fascinating to compare it to how nintendo themselves handled it in super mario odyssey which do we think it's fair to spoil the end of super mario odyssey yeah it's been out a while yeah i i would say so Fast forward a minute if you don't want to hear it. But Super Mario Odyssey has a similar pitch of Bowser trying to marry Princess Peach. I would say it's less clear that he is like in love with her. Mm-hmm. It ends with sort of Mario stopping the wedding at the last minute. And then Mario is also in wedding attire. And he asks Princess Peach to marry him. Mario and Bowser sort of get in like a hissy cat fight. Mm-hmm. And Princess Peach like rejects both of them and leaves. And then they start sobbing and holding each other and are both love Lauren over her. Which I believe has at least been a trope since the Popeye cartoons, where this often happens with Popeye and Bluto <laughs> over olive oil, and probably dates much farther back. I don't know. I think that was a little more effective, and my feeling was that they were just sort of trying to sweep all of the marriage stuff a little bit under the rug and like not think about it or dwell on it too long. Sure. You know, like Princess Peach just says like, yes, I'll marry you. And then it's like two minutes later, like the wedding is being bombed and they're out of there. So, yeah. She also does rescue herself from that scenario. Mm -hmm. She like fights everyone off and then has the the ice flower. 
Mario also kills King Bahman, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, he does. He just murders the monarch of another that country. That is my actual MVP. I was so excited <laughs> to see him. That's my favorite Mario character. He's so fun. It was fun to see all of the like the villains coming to the wedding. I thought that was really cute. Yeah, seeing Piranha Plant and King Boo. I thought it was a little character assassination for the shy guys and dry bones. I think of those as being pretty good guys deep down. They were portrayed as very evil in this movie. Dude. Seeing the shy guy in the gas mask is terrifying. That it's was so weird. Scary. That one was, he was scary, man. Yeah. Those guys, it never occurred to me how much they look like Jason until this movie. I have a hot take about, about Bowser's song in this. I was very let down by it personally. Wow. because the minute they announced the cast for this movie, I believe I texted Wade and said, I know we're getting a butt rock song from Jack Black in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because that is like anyone, anyone listening who has not heard, go look up the theme song from Bowser's Fury. Uh, just pause the episode, go listen to that, come back. It's insane. It's like true, true butt rock just chugging guitars and like grunts and like chanting in the background and it's it's so good and in that visor is like a kaiju and he's uh it's all like it is the jack black aesthetic in this like the sort of overdone power ballad was funny but uh it just did not it did not go as hard as i wanted it to i thought it was pretty funny but it was more a sort of like off the cuff silly moment than like a real rock anthem yeah. in that sort of way mm-hmm. um and i agree it would have been cool to do that i do wonder what they do with bowser going forward because he is sort of the breakout star of this movie i would say but also he seems they've more sort of said that he was evil because he wanted to do this one thing and so i wonder Hmm. how they use him in a future movie well now he's gonna he's gonna play baseball with them and and solve uh doctor issues with mario and where were all of his children yeah that's a good question i was wondering about that well there is the ongoing canonical debate of if the koopa kids are his sons or his cousins or unrelated but i wonder if maybe they just wanted to to avoid entirely but Bowser Jr. is definitely his son. Bowser Jr. is the son of Peach and Bowser, canonically. <laughs> canonically, <laughs> Bowser Jr. is the son of Peach and Bowser. That's that's not a lie. And where was Birdo in this? They just didn't <laughs> want to touch her with a 10-foot pole, I guess. God. Rude, frankly. Also, talk about a disappointment. They have the Yoshi egg, and they keep cutting to the Yoshi egg, like, oh, they're going to pop Yoshi out of here, and then it's really going to like come alive. And they never brought him in. Disappointed. Well, that's the po- Did you say for the post credit scene? No, I didn't. I thought I did. What's the post credit scene? <laughs> I, I stayed for one post credit scene, which was Bowser singing again, but... There's another one at the end, which is just the Yoshi egg cracking, and you hear him say Yoshi, and then it ends. Oh, good. Glad I didn't stay for it. I uh, I watched this movie with, with Maya, with my girlfriend, and the entire credit sequence, she was complaining that there was no Yoshi. Like, truly, the entire time, she was like, we saw him for one moment, and I kept waiting for him, and I just, I just think it's a bad movie because we didn't get Yoshi. And then, like, I had not been foiled on anything. And we got to the post credit scene, 
She's like, is that an egg? I think that's an egg. That's got to be an egg. <laughs> and then it, it zoomed up to Yoshi. And she and the aforementioned kid a few rows ahead of me both yelled, Yoshi! <laughs> Incredible. Real triumphant, uh, triumphant roar. I definitely thought it was either going to be Paddington or Opal Kenobi <laughs> from Artemis Fowl to tie back into the rest of the series. But I guess they just were really worried about the continuity in this one. Uh, it turns out that Babam, t- Mr. Babam, was actually the Atlanta Games bomber, and that that they were getting retribution <laughs> many, many, many years after the fact when they blew him up. This actually seems to be a uh, sort of animated demake of the first movie in the franchise. Super Mario Bros. So presumably this takes place at the beginning of a new timeline of remakes. <laughs> sort of setting the stage for everything else. I'm lost in the bit, honestly. What's the behind-the-scenes <laughs> drama on this? I mean, I think the behind-the-scenes drama and the things that most people are thinking about with this movie that we should talk about is how did we feel about Chris Pratt's performance as Mario? And I would include in that a little bit also Charlie Day's performance as Luigi, which I think is they are doing more of the same thing than people guessed at first. But, you know, you don't traditionally think of Mario as being a Chris Pratt type, Mm -hmm. as being either of Chris Pratt types. He's not sort of a, a lovable, dumb slacker, and he's not a generic military man with no personality. Yeah. And yet they cast Chris Pratt and there was this whole thing where Chris Pratt was like, no, I'm going to do a voice, but it won't be the regular voice. And then the trailers came out and people were like, he's doing his own voice. And it's it's been the talk of the town for the last two years. So what did we think of it? It's okay. It's, it was very funny to me that right at the beginning, they get out that he did a fake Italian accent for the trailer and nothing else. Yeah, there's like an in-universe explanation of this, too, within the movie. Yeah. And I thought that was very funny. But I thought he was, like, fine. I think this characterization of Mario sort of makes more sense with him. Of being, like, a sort of downtrodden son of a, like, large family that doesn't really look up to him much or give him much credit. I thought his performance was fine. It didn't... At no point did it take me out of the movie. Yeah, I'd agree. I It didn't ever take me out. I was, at the very beginning, I was like, I wonder if they're going to be doing that silly, like, way over the top. Like, it's a me. Like, the whole time. And I'm I'm glad they didn't. That, that would have been annoying and grating on the ears. What, what about you? I, I know you and Laura were probably wishing for the, what's the matter, you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a weird because, like, He's not just doing his own voice, right? right. Like he's doing his own voice, and Charlie Day is the same thing. I'm, they're both doing the same thing. They're both doing their own voice, but then they are throwing in like Italian American phrases that they then perform with an accent, like "How you doing?" or "What's the matter with you?" Like Mario will occasionally say those things like that, and then like the rest of the time he'll sound like Chris Pratt. So. Those did take me out of the movie, mm. but I can certainly understand how having like the traditional Mario voice for an hour and a half may have been a little bit grating. The traditional Mario voice actor also in this film as Mario's dad, played by Charles Martinet. 
I was really spun for a loop by the whole Mario's dad thing. I get it does work, but I was just like, it's such a fascinating thing that like that is their angle on it, that Mario has big daddy issues and has let down his family. Yeah. Yeah. Also, do they ever say what his successful day job is before he quits it on the dream of being a plumber? Yeah, he worked for Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, with the Wrecking Crew. Oh, right, right. He worked for Spike. Which also, why won't they just give us the little the little alien guy Spike? Why do we have two different characterizations of Spike that are not the little gremlin from the games? It is so weird to me, like, all of the similarities between these two movies. <laughs> yeah. That both of them, because I never question it in the games that Mario is in the Mushroom Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that he's not a toad or whatever, but I don't really need a set explanation of it. And both of these movies are like, no, we got to do 20 minutes in Brooklyn at the beginning. So they understand. And then we got to go back to Brooklyn and they're going to have to travel through a pipe underground to get mm-hmm. into the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah, both of them are filled with like so many little references and weird ways to all the little things. It was really interesting. Yeah. We're towards the very end. Oh, wait, but I do want to read this Seth Rogen quote that you put up here. Seth Rogen said, I was very clear that I don't do voices. If you want me to be in this movie, then it's going to sound like me and that's it. That was the beginning and the end of that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Very bizarre. Speaking of cultural context, this is what I would ask. This movie is Uh a huge hit. The Last of Us on HBO is a huge hit of the year already. Uh Uh-huh. Not to mention things like the Tetris movie that came out at the same time. We've got Gran Turismo and Twisted Metal coming later this year. I'm sure those both will be huge hits. (laughs) But I'm wondering, do we think this is the start of a video game adaptation era? Do we think that we will look back at 2023 like we do at 2008 with Dark Knight and Iron Man and be like, oh, interesting. this was when the new thing started? I think the thing with this, there's the Neil Druckmann quote from before Last of Us came out when he was like, we want to be the first faithful video game adaptation. We want to like really do this right. And everyone responded to it and was like, you guys are like the 30th faithful video game adaptation. <laughs> And I think that is the thing is these have been sort of creeping up over the past 10 years, really. Like the Castlevania Mm -hmm. anime is incredible. There's um, Mm -hmm. that League of Legends show, I think Arcane on Netflix that people say is really good. The Mortal Kombat movie was pretty good from a couple of years ago. Yeah, Mortal Kombat. Some people like Uncharted. I I can't speak to that. (laughs) That may fall more in the sort of (laughs) B-movie, bad, cheap remake. But, like, I think we have sort of been here for a little bit. I think maybe stuff like this will make it more visible. Because, like, like The Last of Us, a lot of people just don't even associate with video games. Like, a lot of people watching that show who are not from video game culture, don't really know that stuff, are just like, oh, it's a cool zombie movie. See, it's based on a video game, maybe, but don't really think about it. Wait, wasn't Resident Evil based on a video game? Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm sure there are a lot of kids watching the Mario movie this weekend that just know it from the Richard Jewell connection. And don't even <laughs> right. think about the video games, too. And they're also really oh, patiently awaiting uh, Clint Eastwood's Gran Turismo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think, like, this will become just a less debated topic <laughs> in the way that, like, 
Like, I don't think anyone going forward is going to say the same Neil Druckmann quote uh, about their project. Mm. But I, I sort of think we've been here for a little bit. But do you think studios are now going to be like, give us every video game you got? Maybe. I mean, we're sort of there. Like, we've got the Jason Momoa Minecraft movie. Oh, I forgot about that. What? Is that just going to be a live stream of Jason Momoa playing Minecraft for 12 hours? Uh, Unclear. Ideally. But we've got that. There was all of the, like, Amazon acquisitions of the um, Disco Elysium movie, and they had, like, another series, I think. Amazon is supposedly doing a God of War TV show. Oh, yeah. Which strikes me as a horrible idea, (laughs) but... I guess they think they could do it. The yossification of the God of War. I cannot wait to see it. (laughs) Okay, so let's do final thoughts and our updated Richard Jewell rankings here. Oh, man. Before we play our final quiz of the day. And in final thoughts, I'll say if there were any Easter eggs or references you particularly loved seeing in this Easter egg filled movie, you can mention those too. But Zane, we'll start with you. I thought specifically the training sequence really felt like messing up a Mario level a bunch of times when he's like doing the platforming and it's this montage of him messing up and then it's like the next morning and he's tired and he's doing it. That like feels to me exactly like playing a frustrating level of Mario 64 that doesn't control the way modern games do and like not being able to make some background jump uh, or some some backflip and just messing up and then like finally getting it and feeling so excited that connected so clearly with those memories for me and yeah I just think it's fun I think it is as we've said more geared towards kids like some of my friends I've talked to watched it and were just like yeah it was, it was fine you know I, I didn't really get much out of it but um I think it's clearly a movie made with a lot of heart and uh mm. anyone who has any amount of nostalgia for Nintendo or old gaming or these characters, I think would have a good time with it. And what would your updated ranking of the Richard Jewell series? Oh be? man, what even? What movies are in the Richard Jewell series? What have we talked about on this show? <laughs> we have talked about uh, Richard Jewell, Artemis Fowl, Paddington, Paddington Two, Super Mario Bros. nineteen ninety three, and Super Mario Bros. two thousand twenty three. Okay, Artemis Fowl is at the bottom. <laughs> Richard Jewell above that, I would say. And then <laughs> Mario 93, Paddington 2, Mario 23, Paddington 1. Mm. I would say going from 6 to 1 would be my ranking. Very little forethought put into that, but that's okay. that's what I'll go with. Emmett, final thoughts and updated ranking? Oh, yeah, I'll say, okay, so ranking is easier, so I'll do that first, and then we'll talk through some final thoughts here. I think the ranking is Artemis Fowl, Richard Jewell, Paddington 2, Super Mario Bros. 23, Paddington 1, Super Mario Bros. 1993, in the number one spot. You know know what they say? Sometimes you just knock it out of the park with the first movie, and you don't have to do five sequels. (laughs) (laughs) Wade, uh, what are you? Any final thoughts or updated ranking? Final thoughts. Okay, a couple of the references I loved. I liked when he played Kid Icarus. That was mm. cool. I loved the Baby Mario and Baby Luigi. 
Yes, they're so cute. That part really took me by surprise. And I loved the blue shell joke in the Mario Kart sequence. I thought that was a very good use of something relatable to most people in the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, I loved all of the gameplay sequences. I thought those were the best parts of the 2023 movie. Mm-hmm. Like anytime they were doing the Smash thing or the um, side-scrolling thing or the Mario Kart thing, I always thought it was fun. Yeah. For updated ranking, I think I would do... It's hard for me with these two movies because I do think of them very much as like like puzzle pieces that are very similar and like have opposite strengths. Mm. But I would do number six, Artemis Fowl. Number five, Mario 93. Wow. Number four, Mario 23. Wow. Number three, Richard Jewell. Number two, Paddington 2. Number one, Paddington. Crazy. Wow. I've got to re-listen wow. to our first episode because I honestly don't remember Richard Jewell. <laughs> I don't remember if I liked it or not. It's a weird movie, but I remember a lot of scenes from it, which I can't say of much else <laughs> that I watched back then. And most importantly, you remember the name. <laughs> I have one uh, one additional final thought. Well, one, the music in... Both of these, but especially this most recent movie, is is really special. Um, I really loved all of the arrangements of the classic Koji Kondo music. Mm. And Koji Kondo, who wrote all of the old Mario and Zelda music, was score like coordinator or the consultant on this movie. So it had full oversight, and it really shows. There's one fully sort of harmonized and arranged musical rendition of the uh, the invincibility theme. For Mario Kart, where it starts and then like it's just the one sound and then it is that as like a whole jazz tune basically that I think is so good. That's awesome. I also want to say all of the music that is in this movie is given proper credit except the DK rap. I don't know if you guys have seen this on um, on Twitter or anything, but uh, the composer from Donkey Kong sixty four and a bunch of other video games, Grant Kirkhope was publicly tweeting about how excited he was to have the DK rap, which he wrote in the movie, and to be, like, credited and part of this movie. And then was broken the news by, like, audience members that every other song has, like, writing credits except DK rap, which just says from Donkey Kong 64 in the credits. What the hell? And has no other information. And it, like, looks weird in the credits because everything else says written by, performed by, composed by, released by. Uh, and he just didn't get any any credit at all for this piece that he wrote that is so iconic and so many people connected to. So just want to shout out uh, Grant Kirkhope, really excellent composer. Uh, one of my favorite video game songs, Sticker Brush Symphony from Donkey Kong 64, he wrote. And I, I think everyone should go give him some love. Go listen to his music. Yes. Mm. All right, now it is time. For our third and final quiz of the day, our favorite part of each and every episode, this quiz will not be Bums the Word, which we usually play. Instead, we are returning to an old game that we have played from time to time, uh, a game we play on the IGN UK podcast. It's called Go On, Name Them. Wow. Mm. Now, in this game, I will give a count of something. For instance... There are 12 speaking characters in the Super Mario Brothers movie. 
Now, at this point, our contestants will vote on how many of those they think they can name and place a bet ahead of time. So Emmett may say, I think I can name six of them. Then it goes to Zane. He can either counter and raise the offer or command Emmett to go on, name them, and sort of call his bluff. Mm. If Emmett were able to name the six that they claimed they could, then they would win. If not, the point would go to Zane. That is how the game works. I feel like I've never totally gotten good at explaining it, but you will absolutely get the hang of it once we start playing. This game, in particular, I have five counts, and the inspiration is five of the best-selling games on Nintendo Switch. Wow. Uh, In the top five? The inspiration for these five questions are five of the top six best-selling Nintendo Switch games because I knew that neither of you had played Animal Crossing. (laughs) Okay. Ah, so there's no Animal Crossing (laughs) game. But let me start it off. Number one, there are 82 playable characters in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. How many can you name? Oh, man. I'll start the bidding with Zane. Uh, I'll start at 20. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Name them. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Is this counting Echo characters as separate characters? I believe so, yes. Okay. Okay, well then, yeah, I can I can do this for sure. So, okay. we've got Corin, Mark, Roy... Lucina, mm-hmm. Ike, Byleth, uh, Robin is seven. That's all of the Fire Emblem characters. And then Mario, Luigi, uh-huh. Bowser. That's ten. Peach, Yoshi, Dr. Mario. He was a different playable character. Mm-hmm. Donkey Kong, Diddy Kong. Let's see. Are there other Mario games? Daisy is available now, I believe, uh, as a as a skin or a side character for Peach. Um, I think that's correct. Um, I'm just double checking here. Yes, that is correct. Okay, it's sixteen. We've got four more. Let's see. Princess Zelda, Link, Young Link, and Toon Link. I think brings it up. Does that bring it up to twenty, or am I short? That does bring it to twenty. That brings it easily to twenty. wow wow nice work i would have been like link green link red link blue link (laughs) damn nice one all right that is one point to zane question number two there are 17 kingdoms you can visit in super mario odyssey oh no how many of them can you name Emmett? the bidding starts with you okay you said there's 17? 17? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> crazy. That is crazy. Uh, I think confidently three. <laughs> okay. Three, Zane? This is exact names, not like describing the terrain. <laughs> yes, you okay. cannot say Lava World. This is the name of the kingdom, of which they all have a name. Go on, name them. <laughs> Um, New Donk City Kingdom. Is that what it's called? Uh, 
I believe. That is not technically the name of that kingdom. Oh, oh man. But I'll give you another shot if you've got some others in the tank. God, that's <laughs> annoying. Okay. Um, what is the one? Is it like the soup kingdom? <laughs> you know the one I'm talking about? I know which one you're talking about. All right. What about Dino Hatton? Is Dino Hatton one of the names of these? <laughs> okay. I think this is sounding like a second I, point for Zane. Sounds like a second point for Zane. That's correct. Will you tell me what the name of that one was, though? The New Donk City one? Okay, that is technically known as the Metro Kingdom. Oh, wow. Okay. You also mentioned the Luncheon Kingdom. What is the the 64 one? The Mario 64 Kingdom? I believe that is the Lost Kingdom. Okay. Or maybe the Ruined Kingdom? Well, one of them is like the Dark Souls Kingdom with the Elder Dragon. There is dark side and darker side here. Well. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh, crap. The moon is one of the kingdoms. I, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, uh, moon kingdom. There's also sand kingdom, seaside kingdom, snow kingdom, mm, wooded wow. kingdom. We, okay, I, think, I feel like I overthought that one a little too much. We'll see if you overthink this next one or not. There are seven ruins that can be controlled with your Sheikah Slate in The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. How many can you name? Seven ruins? Yes. The, like, powers? Yes, your abilities that you can do with the Sheikah Slate. Okay. Oh, seven runes that you can control. All there of them. There are seven of them. So, But this is Zane, damn it. We'll start with Zane. How many of the seven? I'll, I'll start with three. Three? Yeah. Damn it. I think I can do... Or do you, we have to use, like, the exact name that it that it uses? I am looking for the exact exact name. for the exact name. I'm pretty sure that I can do five. Okay, five, Zane. Uh, yeah, go for it. Okay, so we've got stasis, magnesis, cryonis, remote bombs, mm-hmm. camera, amiibo. That's correct. Oh wow! And uh-huh. wow. and. Then there's another bomb, and I don't know if that's just a regular bomb or if that's also called remote bomb. Mm. The other one here is like post-DLC Master uh, Cycle Zero. Oh, oh okay, the six gotcha. You named and the Master Cycle. So it's including, wow. it's including bombs, both bombs as one thing on there? I guess that makes sense. That's Square bombs and circular bombs. They're basically the same. Yeah, wow. There's a 540 hours put to good use. <laughs> yeah no kidding actually we can find out right now how many it is live on air we're gonna look it up <laughs> wow. figure it out wow. i've been putting some serious time in i've been trying to do i've been trying to get all of the dexterity before any hearts has been my my mission on this most recent playthrough i don't even know what that means <laughs> yeah it's intense man honest. and i played that game through completion <laughs> You're totally right here. I mean, they, all the others have one logo, and then Remote Bomb has two logos of two different types of bombs. Yeah. yeah. You were very close. It is 530 hours or more of playtime <laughs> logged. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. This is also a cry for help, once again. <laughs> all right. Two more. Still anyone's game. Question number four. 
there are 400 catchable Pokemon in Pokemon Sword and Shield. How many can you name? Oh, no. Whose chance? I believe Emmett is back to you to start. I believe it's Emmett. Um, in, um, six. All right, starting off with six. Zane? Yeah, I could do, let's see. I have my deck of Pokemon cards on my desk. I assume I can't touch that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that counts as cheating. Okay. Ten. Ten? Emmett? I could maybe do twelve. Twelve? Zane? Fifteen. Fifteen? Emmett? Go on. Name them. <laughs> Name them. <laughs> okay. Okay, you're going to have to do these slowly because I'm control-effing to make sure they're correct on this list. Okay. Sobble? Excuse me. <laughs> Sobble? Sobble? Sobble. Oh, Sobble. I believe one of the yes. Yes. The yes. starters. Um, Inteleon is his third evolution. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the second evolution and don't remember the others, but uh, Zacian? Mm-hmm. Zamazenta. <laughs> yes, that is yes, that is correct. Uh Eternatus. Uh-huh. Let's see. Eevee. I'm gonna keep track of these because I'm trying to search them. I think we're at six so far. Six, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. Flareon. Yes. Vaporeon. Yes. Uh Jolteon. Mm-hmm. Let's see what it is. Espeon. Yep, that's 10. Umbreon. Uh-huh. Leafeon. We're going down the list exactly. <laughs> Somehow <laughs> here. Glaceon. Suspiciously. Uh-huh. Sylveon. Uh-huh, that's 14. Okay, and then um, Pikachu. Very bizarre to me that you managed to recall them in the exact order they are listed on the website. <laughs> The order of um, generations that they came out in. Also, I guess the Pokedex order. Hmm. Whoa. Okay. Uh, yeah, Pikachu is the last. Well, incredible. Yeah, we were at 15 with Pikachu. Incredible. All right. Well, it is three points to Zane, one point to Emmett with one left. Um, Zane does seem to cinch it, but Emmett, you could emerge with some dignity intact, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe. Question number five. There are currently 80... Playable courses in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Oh, no. How many courses can you name? Uh, these are not cups. These are the individual races mm-hmm. and courses. Is this my start? I believe so, yes. Four. All right, we're starting off with four, Emmett. I think I can do eight. Eight? Zane? Yeah, go for it. Why don't you? All right, Rainbow Road. Yeah. Bowser's Castle. Yes. Mushroom City. Mushroom City? Is Mushroom City... Mm, No, Mushroom City is called something else. All right. Dry Dry Desert. Yep, that's four. That's three, because Mushroom City is not Mushroom City. Yoshi Island. Yoshi Circuit. Yoshi Circuit. That's four. Um, Daisy's Cruiser. Is that what that one's called? Is that one called Cheap Cheap Beach? Cheap Cheap Beach is one. That's five. Okay. Um, Luigi Circuit? 
Yes. Okay. Waluigi Pinball? Yes. Well. Yeah, that's one of the DLCs. <clears throat> TikTok Clock? Yes. That's all? That's right? That's eight? That's, that's no. And Wario Stadium? Yeah. Well, bravo. You know them and you have done well. Congratulations. Congratulations to both. Excellent show. Very Thank close you. game. Oh, that's an that's a that's a fun one. Yeah. Zane, do you have anything to plug before we get the hell out of here? <laughs> <laughs> I I just played my senior recital, uh, which will be up on the internet fairly soon. So if you cool. want to watch about an hour of classical double bass, that'll be that'll be out there. I also my band Caffeine Daydream is um in the midst of releasing our next album. We put out a couple songs. Cool. And the album should be up probably in like a, a month or two from when this goes up. Awesome. Keep your eyes peeled for that. And we have a couple singles from it already out. So you can, you can kind of get a taste, see what it's, what it's like. And I, I think that's all. I think that's about what I'm up to. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for being here, Zane. Yeah. It is our favorite time of the year to have you on. Yeah, thank you. No, thanks for having me. I would like to plug briefly before we go, my theater company, Mended Wing Theater, is once again going on tour, this time in the Winston-Salem area, taking The Tempest to kids in schools around that area in May. So if you would like to make a donation to our GoFundMe, we are doing good work out here. We are bringing the works of Shakespeare to kids and making it fun and exciting. Um, Look up our website, www.mendedwingtheater.com, and uh, find out more about it. Um, we've got 16 weeks until Greta Gerwig's Barbie and we are now releasing on Saturdays next week with Elvis 2022 to finally finish our Baz Luhrmann miniseries. And then what Mm -hmm. next your listener? What next? Well, remember the name and stay frosted. 10% 10% luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will, 5% pleasure, 50% pain, and 100% reason to remember the name. Yeah.